Today we're in week four of our Made for Mission series, and we're going to talk about who is our mission. Just a quick review in case you weren't here and you haven't caught up on podcast yet. Week one, we talked about that we are all called to this mission that Jesus has given us. In week two, we asked the question, what is my mission? And in a nutshell, your mission was the same mission that Jesus came to the earth. It's to grow in relationship with God and to introduce him to others. Last week, we unpacked about how you actually introduce him. We asked or answered the question, what is my message? And we learned that simply sharing with others the goodness of God and how it has intersected with your life and changed your life for the better. Today, we are answering the question, who is my mission? And you may be thinking, I get it. You know, I get it. We're supposed to share about how God's goodness has changed our lives, of, of how he's affected us for the better. But am I supposed to just walk up to random people and, and start talking? Another question you may be thinking is, if God has uniquely placed me in other people's lives to, to share about him, how do I identify that? How do I go about telling them and, and what to tell them? And let me say, I get it. As an introvert, I get it. I am not good at walking up and talking to other people, even about the weather, much less getting into something so sensitive as our faith. And I know that, you know, most of you, when you were growing up, at least if, I don't know, in my generation, we were told about you never talk about politics and you never talk about faith and polite company. Because it's always going to, to cause a major disruption and probably an argument. I want to say I get it. I want to say I understand this is a hard thing to talk about. But what we're going to talk about is still very applicable. Because as you study the life of Jesus, this topic we're going to talk about today is the major theme in his life. And I'm going to say something really strong right now. That is, it's impossible to truly be a follower of Jesus and ignore this theme in his life about telling people about the gospel. And I'm going to set up today's message with a comparison. The first thing I want to point out is that in John chapter 3, Jesus has a conversation with a very religious man. This man is Nicodemus. He's the creme de la creme, the absolute top shelf of the religious movement inside of Israel at that time. He would have been like a bishop, a cardinal, somebody way, way, way up there in the religious system that they, are, that they lived in during that time. And Jesus ends up correcting some basic beliefs that Nicodemus was holding. And I mentioned this conversation this morning to say this. Just because somebody appears to be a super Christian doesn't mean that they are not still struggling with questions about the faith. Some people go into ministry. I'm just giving you a little hint here or a little secret. Some people go into the ministry to somehow get so close to God to, because they feel so far away that they get go into ministry thinking that if they do this, that they're going to be saved somehow. They, they do it as a work to try to get closer to God, not necessarily because there was a calling. And Nicodemus was probably one of these guys. 
Just because you're that super Christian doesn't mean you're not struggling. A Christian band named Sidewalk Prophets has a line in one of their songs that sums this up. It goes, I'm the pastor at your church. For all these years, you've listened to my words and you think that I have all the answers. And it says, but I have doubts and questions too. And behind this smile, I'm really just like you. And Jesus didn't assume Nicodemus had it all together because of his title or position. He actually spent some time still ministering to him and still teaching him. That's the one extreme. Now we're going to go to the other extreme. We're going to go from religious leader to a lost woman. Jesus leaves this conversation with Nicodemus and decides to go to the other side of the tracks. He goes to a place that no good Hebrew would ever think of going. And he speaks to a woman that no good Hebrew, no good follower of the Jewish religion would ever have time for. And he does this to set the example for us. He shows us that he wasn't just sent to those who looked the most healthy, who looked the best, who never missed church. But he also shows us that we are to go to those dying from this sickness we call sin. Rich, poor, black, white, Hispanic or native, Asian, even Germans and Norwegians need to hear about God's love for them. For them. We're going to pick up the story in John chapter 4, verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. He had come to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Let me give you... A little geography lesson here. We read that he left Judah and went to Galilee. Now Judah is down at the bottom of the map. You can see it. You see Bethlehem, Bethany, Jerusalem down there. He's got to go all the way up to Galilee, which is where Nazareth and the Sea of Galilee and all that. He has to go up there. Right smack in the middle of there is Samaria. Jews do not go to Samaria. They absolutely hate Samaritans. Samaritans are, are people who were left behind when they were carried off to Babylon and they ended up intermarrying with the Assyrians. And they were also the people who resisted the Jews coming back into the land, rebuilding Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple. So they, they had multiple reasons to hate these people. Now, normally when Jews would want to go from Judea to Galilee, they would take the eastern road, which is on the right side of your map there, they would take that road down along the Jordan, it was called the King's Highway, and they would take it and go all the way around and then back up and into that area. Or, occasionally, they would take the coastal road and go all the way over here to the left and take that, but that went through Phil Philistine territory, so you had to kind of um, balance which one you wanted to go through. Jesus said, no, I'm going to take the direct route. I am just going to go straight up. It wasn't an easy journey. You were still going up and down mountains, but it was the most direct way. And so he ends up right in that middle circle there at that town called Samaria. 
So that just kind of gives you a, a perspective of what Jesus was doing. And you think about it, Jesus actually goes out of his way to go to where he needs to go. Because actually, if you keep reading the Bible, he ends up over toward the Decapolis, but he actually went straight up this time. Continuing the story in John 4, 7, When the Samaritan woman came up to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, I have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Or you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank for it himself? As he also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. As we seek the answer this morning of who is my mission, Let's look at how the people in this story saw this woman. Let's think about how this woman saw herself, especially in the presence of, of Jesus. She's a Samaritan woman, strike one. She's so ashamed of her past that she comes to the well when no one else was around. Samaritan women or any women at that time, they came to the well first thing in the morning. It was kind of their social hour. They would come right as the sun was coming up. They would all gather at the well. They would share. They would laugh. They would, they would talk about things before the day got too hot. And then they would all go back to their house carrying their water. Not this woman. This woman comes in the heat of day. She comes around noon. So this it is blazing hot right now. This woman has been rejected by multiple men and by her society. Let's think about how the disciples saw this woman. They're not even in this scene. But, since Jesus sent them into town, they probably passed her on the way. They never talked to her when they returned. It doesn't even indicate that they even saw her as worthy of their attention. But now let's see how Jesus saw her. Let's think about this. He saw her that she was worth it. Worth going out of his way to meet her. Worth crossing social barriers. Worth risking his reputation. Worth even his life for going into enemy territory for one woman. And he saw her as worth going to the cross to die for her. The second thing that Jesus saw was one thing characteristic within her. She was persistent. You might ask, well, how, where does it say she was persistent? Well, let's look. John 4, 15, it says that the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, 
so that I don't have to give thirsty and keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And when we did the Gospel of John series last year, we went and talked about this woman. And I've probably heard in my Christian life dozens of sermons. And they all focus around this woman's sinfulness and her shame. When we read this section of scripture, we usually do focus on her. But I want to make you aware of some specific cultural facts that existed in her world. In the first century, in the Middle Eastern culture, it's a man-centered world. The feminists today think that it's bad. It was, it was pretty horrible for women then. They had all the power. Women were second-class citizens, if they were even considered citizens at all. In Samaria, it's even worse, because you have two cultures making it even worse. It's a hybrid between Judaism and the Assyrian culture. In both these cultures, it's completely acceptable for the man to play in the field. He can have all kinds of relationships out there and multiple lives and wives at the same time. In fact, if, if you burn his toast, he could divorce you just by writing on the scrap of the back of the butter packet and hand it to you and divorce you right there. And in those times, that meant you were pretty much doomed. You couldn't work. You couldn't do anything. You had to go back to your father's house. Couple that with the fact that most of these marriages are arranged. You start to see some problems here because these marriages weren't arranged for the daughter's happiness. They're arranged by the father for his happiness and to somehow make his life better through money or gifts from the, the father of the, of the potential groom. In the ancient Near East, daughters were commodities. They were not necessarily loved members of the household. So once this woman's divorced, returns to her father's house, gets arranged to be married to somebody else, if they would take her. And I bring this cultural context of this situation to say this. This isn't necessarily a woman that jumped from guy to guy to guy to guy to guy. You know, she often gets, gets looked at as, as like a harlot or a prostitute. This is probably more likely a woman who has been used and abused by multiple men throughout her life. She knows what it's like to feel pain and loss. She's probably carrying a little bit of bitterness, you think? A little bit of anger? A little bit of, of why me? What, what is so wrong with me that these men treat me like this? This is what she's carrying every day to the well, but here she is. She hasn't given up. She's still going. She's going down day after day to get this water. In John 4.39, it says that many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. Maybe it was that persistence of her going over and over again to that well that developed something within her. The woman's testimony was, he told me everything that I ever did. And when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him, him being Jesus, to stay with them. And he stayed for two days because of the, 
because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. We have heard it for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The next verse says that Jesus left Galilee after two days. So this woman goes out and she proclaims Jesus to these people. And there's, there's a huge spiritual revival. How does that happen? The very woman that people cast or very woman that people had cast aside comes back into the village and with that persistence she's learned, tells people and convinces them to meet her new friend and savior Jesus. She pleads with them to come meet the man who told her everything she had ever done. She wouldn't take no for an answer. How many times do you think she had to go back into town those two days with her past, with all that baggage behind her, having to come back into town and say, you need to meet this man? I think, actually, this woman is a pretty special woman. And she's probably the most surprising and dynamic leader in the entire New Testament. There's a quick but important point I want to go into, even if it is a little bit of a rabbit trail. Because I think somebody needs to, really, really needs to hear this point today. We look at everything this woman has gone through. It does not set her up for spiritual success. If you were to look at it just, you know, you look at it and you say, yeah, you know, with your past, I don't think God's going to use you, would be our human reaction to her. How many people here have had that kind of hardship in their lives? You've gone through something. Maybe it was an addiction. Maybe it was an illness. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it's just something that you think, because of this, I can't possibly be used of God. We ask, often ask why when things aren't going our way. We think God has abandoned us. We think that he doesn't love us. Sometimes we think that, that we are beyond his ability to forgive and that we've blown it in life. And the only thing that we have to look forward to is, is maybe even getting into heaven someday because of Jesus. But when it comes to this life, I can't do anything for him anymore. For years, this woman received only rejection. But in many ways, it strengthened her resolve. Even though this man she has now who will not put a ring on her finger, she is out in the heat of the day facing the scorn of her town to get water for her. That's tenacity. That's perseverance. And she didn't learn that kind of perseverance until she went through some really awful things. And now God is going to use that perseverance to win people to Jesus. James's little, or Jesus' little brother James says in James 1, uh, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 2. I'm going to read it in the NIV first. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
That's the NIV version. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the Living Bible Translation now because I think it's going to speak to someone here today. Dear brothers or sisters, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy. For when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it go. Don't try to squirm out of your problems. When your patience is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything, strong in character and full and complete. This woman has learned to say, my life may stink right now. It may be the most horrible situation I could ever find myself in. And maybe some of it is my fault. But I am not going to quit while God gives me breath. God used this woman's pain to be part of a process that made her the ideal witness and leader of the first church of Samaria. No one, no one is beyond God's ability to forgive and no one is beyond God's ability to use. Instead of being mad at God for bad times, instead of questioning him, ask him, what are you trying to teach me, Lord? Why is this, what, what in this situation is, are you trying to, to get into my heart, get into my spirit and change so that I can be used of you later? That's a personal application we can get from this woman's life. Now let's look at how we can apply it to other people. You know, the disciples most likely passed by her on the way to town without even offering to help her. In fact, they probably crossed to the other side of the street so they didn't have to interact with her. It never crossed their minds to bring her to meet Jesus. These are men that are following Jesus on a missionary journey, and they just let this woman walk right past her. The one person who could fix everything in her life was being withheld because of fear, because of doubt, because of unbelief, and may I be so bold to say religious pride. Religious pride told them she's beneath me and I'm not wasting my time with that person. We have no idea what people are going through. We have no idea how much they may smile to you here, but inside they're dying. And they need what we have. Who is my mission? Everybody. The lesson we can learn from Jesus to the Samaritan woman is that God has strategically placed you where you are at to reach people no one else can. Notice this woman goes back to the town where she's from. The same woman who made her life hard, harder to avoid everyone decides that these people are now more important than her comfort. These are people who, who mocked her. These are people who avoided her. These are people who shunned her. These are people who treated her like absolute dirt. People who talked behind her back and would even cast dispersions and insults to her faith. Yet she looked at them and said, everyone needs to hear about Jesus. They are my mission. We say, who is our mission? Well, there's a Greek word that's mentioned throughout the Old Testament that answers that question. It's the word oikos. It's the ancient Greek equivalent to a household 
a family, and the average oikos is usually made about 8 to 15 people. So the people that are closest to you. You see this in the Bible. In Luke 8, the demon-possessed man was told to return to his household, or oikos, and describe the great things done for him. In Luke 19, Zacchaeus was told salvation had come to his household, or his oikos. In John chapter 4, the centurion's whole household was saved for the healing of his son. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius was a righteous man who feared God with all of his household. You see this throughout the entire Bible that Jesus would come and arrange for either himself or someone else to come and share the gospel with someone, and then they went and told 8 to 15 other people. What's that look like for us? You're where you are in life right now for such a time as this. God has intentionally and strategically placed you where you're at to meet specific people. People that would never talk to me. People who might never ever talk to Diane, but maybe they'll talk to Jeanette. Maybe they'll talk talk to Julie, but they won't talk to me. But that's why God put you in that situation to reach them. There's an insert in your bulletins this week. Pull that out. There's one last week too. There's some back there on the foyer if you want to grab that if you weren't here last week. The one in the foyer is talking about how to build and how to, to prepare a testimony you can tell other people. This one is targeting who your oikos is, who your household is, the people that God has placed you where you are right now in life to reach. You can recognize this through the acronym France. We're talking about your friends. We're talking about your relatives. We're talking about your acquaintances. Talking about your neighbors, your co-workers, your classmates. And eyes wide open for anyone else. That's what France is supposed to stand for. Eyes wide open may be the clerk at Quick Trip or the clerk over at Dollar General or, or somebody you just run into on the way and you see their, their face is downcast and they're mumbling and they may say, hey, are you okay? Is there anything I can do for you? It's as simple as that. And maybe, you know, I, I'm a Christian. I'll pray for you if you want. You know, just give me something to pray about. That can just open up people's hearts. It's a, it may seem like it's something you don't want to do, but let me tell you, I have had so many people that they didn't know me from Adam, but I just said, is there something wrong? Can I pray for you? I do it. I did it at work the other day. A woman in the cafeteria that just joined, she was just walking around like this the entire morning when I was in there getting my food, my breakfast in the morning. I said, is, is there something wrong? I mean, is, is, are you okay? And then she opened up and told me she was having all kinds of problems with her, her relatives and, and all this kind of stuff. And I said, you know, let me pray about that. I'm going to pray about this for you. And by lunch, she was cheerful again. The whole situation had ironed itself out. And she didn't know, she didn't know me from Adam. She was brand new. But now, you know, she's, she's interested in talking about the faith. She's found out I was a pastor. She's interested in talking about faith. It's just different things like that. Step out of your comfort zone. Open up your eyes because there is a field out there of people who need to hear about this. You know, we have 24 members in this church. If we all reached out to these 15 people, these Francis, and they reached out to another 15 people, it would only take that process three, maybe four times to reach everybody in this county. That's the power of, of recognizing who your household is. 
And I know it's not comfortable. I know it's going to be a stretch. I know it's going to be something that's going to take faith. I'm going to end this morning. I want to share with you something that happened to me this week at work. Most of you know I work in an emergency room. And this week we had a young adult in cardiac arrest that we were unable to revive. This person was a member of the, of the Ho-Chunk tribe. And part of their culture is that whenever one of them gets sick or, in this case, dies, everybody in that family comes. And the elder who came apparently was a Christian. And he asked for a minister to come and, and pray with the people. It was late at night. It was really 11, 12 o'clock at night. I know there is zero chance of finding a pastor that's going to come to the ER at that time of day. At least that's on their full list. And normally, I don't like switching roles in that case. And it, it sounds a little counterintuitive, but when you're in the medical field, you have a kind of a wall up of, of this passion. And, and when, you, when you go to minister, you have to kind of drop that wall and be able to cry with those who are crying, to be able to hug them, to be able to, to share in their grief and all that. And that's not the hard part. Dropping the walls is the hard part. It's putting it back up. So going from crying with one person and then somebody saying, John, come over here. So we have another person that's crashing. Me having to go, <laughs> go in there, I'm all crying. And, you know, I'm not really thinking rationally. So I try not to, to cross those two um, boundaries. But as I sat there and I'm, I'm fighting with myself in my mind, one of the nurses looked right at me. And I heard the Holy Spirit tell me, You're, you are to, I put you here to do this. And he gave me the verse. He said, I can, he said um, it's one of my life verses, I think. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I said, okay, God, I'll do it. And what followed was an incredible ministry time to people who would normally not give a white Christian minister the time of day. A lot of those people in that room were hard people, partying people, people that would never, ever even talk to, to a non-tribal person, much less about faith. But their culture demands they listen to their elders. So as this elder started to go through the process of faith, started to go through the, what God had been telling him this week, started to go through what the Bible had to say about this moment. All these people respectfully nodding. And then he would turn to me and he said, Pastor, can you please pray for us and tell us how they can be saved in case they were on this table? That's an incredible opportunity. But it did take stepping out of my comfort zone to be able to do it. Let's all rise. I just want to leave you with this truth this morning. No one, and I mean no one, is outside of God's grace if we are only willing to be used by God. It's not about our comfort. It's not about what, what we feel in that moment. It's about His kingdom and us being obedient and willing to share Jesus' plan of salvation with everyone we come in contact with. So Lord Jesus, I just ask, Father, you search us and know us. Most of us have objections. Most of us, when it comes to talking about witnessing, 
We automatically have all kinds of reasons we can't do it. I'm an introvert. I don't talk to other people. All, all, those, all those objections that fly up into our minds. But Jesus, you're worth feeling uncomfortable for. And we know, Lord, that if we just take that step of obedience, of faith, that your Holy Spirit will give us the words to say. It's a promise in your word, Lord. You will give us the words to say. It might not even be words to say. It just may simply be an action that we do. Maybe it's cleaning their windows off from the snow when we're leaving for work and they're coming out behind us. Maybe it's just doing some act of service like that. Maybe it's proclaiming and, and sharing with them how, how much you have meant to us and how much you have changed our lives. Whatever it may be, help us to, to keep our eyes open for those people you have given us to reach, Lord. We want to see our family saved. We want to see our neighborhood saved. We want to see our work, the people in our workplace saved. But it's up to us. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that you put your spirit of obedience into us, that we can see people as you see them, and that we will not be ashamed of this gospel. For it is the power of God unto the salvation of all humanity. Lord God, I just bless your people now, and I thank you, Lord. Give us opportunities this week to tell people about you. And let's see the harvest come in, Lord. Father, I thank you, and I ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.